Welcome to the White Hot Magazine of Contemporary Art podcast with your host, Noah Becker. Our guest today is Ruben Natal San Miguel, a well-known photographer who takes photos all over New York City and has captured exciting moments in the city for years on end and shows his work in museums, has appeared in the New York Times and on NPR, amongst other international art photography venues. I had an interesting conversation with him about his history in New York and his thoughts on photography. Noah? Yes, Ruben. Yes. Welcome to the White Hot Magazine podcast. How are you today? Good. How are you? Hello, everybody. Good. Um, so, very special guest today is um, Ruben San Miguel. Ruben Natal San Miguel. Is that the proper way to pronounce it? That says, that's correct. Okay. So, um, you're a well-known photographer in New York City for many years but also you have an international following. Um, you're collected by, tell me some of the collections you're in. Oh boy, <laughs> there's, big, there, there's a lot of private collections, but I mean, uh, the Museum of the City in New York, the El Museo del Barrio, uh, El, the Mint Museum in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, gee, the Fishburg Museum in Fishburg, Massachusetts, uh, the Bronx Museum of the Arts in New York City. Mm -hmm. uh, where else am I? I'm losing track right here. Right. I now, mean, if you, then, if you uh, haven't seen Ruben's uh, photographs before, uh, they're very New York-centric in a way, but they're also, one of the things that I like about them is that he's a, um, an exceptional colorist. The, the beautiful uh, colors and compositions um, around New York City and you, you've also um, made photographs in, in Puerto Rico. Yes, I did. I covered the hurricane during the, uh, uh, right after uh, Hurricane Maria, I was, uh, I had a nomination by the Magnum Foundation and I was decided to try to make that work as part of the, you know, submission. Right. Um, and your, was that the Mint Museum? Was that your most recent show? Uh, well, the show right now, I mean, I, I show quite a bit, but the show right now that's really uh, getting a lot of traction is uh, the Women Are Beautiful series that they were supposed to open last year, as you know, at uh, uh, Postmaster Gallery. And then, you know, that day the city closed, and so I didn't get to have an opening, and uh, the show remained closed for a while. And then when it opened, people were afraid to go to the galleries. So basically, maybe a handful of people got to see it. Uh, we had some sales. We had a lot of press. I mean, the next day I was in the, you know, in the art cover of the art section of the New York Times Magazine. So, you know, it was like do or die. You know, basically I had to kind of hang on because the show remained closed. You know, with people going maybe, I don't know who saw the show, barely anyone. Mm -hmm. And uh, it finally closed on June, no, July. And then the work came back to me basically pretty much the way I brought it over to the gallery. 
on scene. And this was just for listeners who didn't catch the name of the gallery. It's Postmasters Gallery, and that's located in New York City in Tribeca. Yes, it's Postmasters Gallery. Uh, Magda and I did everything possible to keep the show alive. And uh, this pandemic, we were challenged by all that. You know, as you all know, we endure all this. And uh, basically, we did the best possible to keep the show alive. And then... In June or July, uh, the curator of the Mi Museum, uh, Jen Sodol Edwards, came here. She was the last person that was in my apartment since the pandemic started. That was March 7, which she was during the fairs, you know, right after the fairs. Uh-huh. That's when the pandemic hit. And uh, I, you know, the show was in her mind, and I suggested to her, well, there's no budget for, you know, museums now for traveling shows or anything, but what about if we do something online? We mm-hmm. do... So I suggested to her if we could do an exhibition online, and she agreed. She made her mm-hmm. own curatorial selection from the 50, 50 images, mm-hmm. and she selected 26, and she wrote a beautiful statement, and they did the first online exhibition ever. I was the first one ever, and, he, you know, it's done really well. It was in your magazine, the interview that uh-huh. we did with uh, you guys did with Jen, and then it was on the Eye of the Photography. It was in uh-huh. the magazine. It was also on the. It hit the front page. Of, I mean, on, on the. I mean, the art section of the Charlotte Observer last week. It was a full page article, um, uh-huh. and. Uh, the Charlotte Observer did an interview with me as well. That was also online and. Uh, PR just did today they released the interview with the about the exhibition as well so I guess what I'm trying to say is that you could really have a successful online exhibition if you really have the right imagery and the right theme to mm-hmm. and the right venue to put it mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. so there's plans uh, right now with another museum I can't say which one it is but it's in the proximity of New York about doing that show during uh, a selection again from that show mm-hmm. to go uh, also online for the month of Women's History Month, which is the month that I was supposed to open that show last year and it mm-hmm. never happened. So I'm trying to fulfill, you know, something that didn't happen a year ago and catch up right. with it. And the idea is that whatever I'm going to show that exhibition online, if it's in the proximity of the area, I will go on my portraits or to be included as part of the narrative. And the right. curator will have the choice as the as the work is amplified to add to the work, you know, select uh, the images from the area and the images that they're more comfortable with. Mm-hmm. So it's um there's a lot of positive things happen. I just talked to a book publisher today. I think I think that it's gonna go really well. So I'm gonna make a book for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the show is also going to a commercial gallery uh, in Hudson, New York at the end of June. It's called Artsy. Mm-hmm. So the idea is basically to try to recuperate and keep the narrative going, you know, because the show, as you know, costs a lot of money and it just never had a chance. Mm-hmm. You uh, had the show at Postmasters and they published you in the New York Times around the same point. Oh, yeah, no, it was the next day. I And then today I noticed you're on NPR. Yes. 
And was that a radio program and publishing? It's or supposed just... to broadcast on radio as well, but I think they did it online, which is basically favors me more because, uh, uh, you know, the digital imprint is good to have and people tend to uh, go more for that. But I need to speak to them because I think it's also going to go alive because, you know, it was a phone interview and it was recorded. Mm-hmm. So um, I need to follow up on that, but I'm just so glad that it went online because, uh, you know, people can see the images with the conversation and that to me is very important, you know? Mm-hmm. And- so I've always been fascinated by your photography. Oh, thank and you. And how you, yeah. And you're very consistent and you, you make a lot of work and it's usually high quality work. Do you want to talk about your background professionally a little bit? Sure. Did you go to Well, I mean, I don't, I'm a, I'm a self-taught photographer. I learned this on my own and I learned it mostly because I used to be a photography collector and uh, I did it for a long time and I really made it my homework to know who's who and what they do. And I always had this uh, desire for old school images that, you know, uh, Bruce Davidson and Harold Levitt did in the past in this area that I happen to live in now. So when I moved to Harlem after surviving the 9-11 attacks, uh, right after, um, I started seeing that there was a still a little bit of a sliver of that activity. And it was also disappearing with the as the neighborhood kept you know, being gentrified. So I decided to push myself and get a camera and start photographing what I saw that it was still, you know, prevailing in the city, the fire hydrants, the people doing exercises in the scaffoldings, the barbecues, the people on the street, the way they were dressing. You know, I also saw that the way people were dressing and and will also mirror how later on will be translating to high fashion. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot. I really had to detach myself from, you know, the sort of high life that I have with summers in Far Island. So in the Hamptons, I basically removed myself from all that and immersed myself into getting to know the culture and getting to know the people and getting to have a clear understanding uh, that was, you know, people living in these marginalized communities and conditions and also to try to create environmental portraits that reflected that, you know, without, you know, being mm-hmm. dignified and respectful. And mm-hmm. So basically that's... Um, right, because a lot of, I mean, they're not really candid, although some of your work is kind of candid. I wouldn't say it's like traditional spur of the moment street photography, but then it is, but then the people in the photographs are kind of like willing participants. Oh, no, they are. And basically it's an engagement because you see uh, when you are a survivor of September 11, you're always looking for connectivity. Right after September 11, I would go like a robot into my work, my job on Wall Street, and I would not talk to anyone. I didn't talk to anyone for six months. And I live by myself. Right. I was totally detached from everybody. So this was mm-hmm. a way for me to, you know, get some human connection, even though it was for like five minutes. And you're also an architect. I'm a trained architect and I study business. Yeah, I have, a, I have a, mm. uh, a bachelor, a master's degree in architecture and a degree in business. And I, I don't both professionally. Mm-hmm. And do you find that informs your... Oh, the, 
Oh yeah, the business feet. experience and the architecture experience, absolutely. I mean, the business experience comes to like how to run my my little, uh, I say empire, my little business. I mean, I run it all by myself. And the other aspect of it is that I'm very precise with numbers and also with the architecture is that I learned how to compose things on my head, you know? And uh, mm -hmm. you learn all about color and composition. And uh, the photography aspect I learned from reading and, and studying mm -hmm. people's work and collecting it because I was collecting it for a mm -hmm. while and uh, investing in it and selling it and showing it and curated it. So, I mean, everything kind of all came together. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I always try to avoid when I'm publishing White Hot Magazine and I, I have a tendency to write about a lot of people and I have written about a lot of people over the years um, for different magazines. Um, but I try to avoid basing my connection with somebody's work on how it reminds me of other people's work mm -hmm. and your work doesn't i don't immediately say oh that work looks like that work or your work looks you remind me of robert frank or something like that you know what i'm saying like but from your own perspective would you say that you were influenced by photography or oh no or i was definitely experience? i mean i didn't study photography you know i basically learned it on my own i mean i just know how to pick up a camera and photograph you know pretty much i mean there's a lot of things about technicalities of photography that i really don't care about knowing because i have very short uh you know patience and this is why i would never do film i can't be trapped in a place and, you know, the closest thing to photography is that I had a job at the photo department at the architectural school that I went for one year in Puerto Rico, and I just couldn't stand being inside. So that died right there. So, you know, when digital came out, I'm like, well, everything kind of lined up. And I said, oh, okay. You know, and I love the fact mm -hmm. that I could send my work to printers and it gets done. And I don't need to worry about mm -hmm. any of that because, you know, I don't do Photoshop. I don't do any, you know, I keep my work clean. But I also, I'm very determined and specific about light. And I like to play with the light. And the light is what dictates whether my work is going to look like perfectly saturated or not. I like to play with light. That I do. It's mm -hmm. a must. Mm -hmm. But in terms of reference from other people's work, I I mean, I, I study everyone, you know, and I just, you know... I, it's very hard to try to, uh, you know, it's very different from going to a photo studio that you have everything there. You have assistants or you have people, lights, you have a setting that doesn't move and a model that doesn't move. We miss like a moving train, either you get it or you don't. So you really have to be very, yeah. very specific. And I develop a sense for that. You know, I, li I like that mm -hmm. precision that I either get it or I don't. And uh in terms mm -hmm. of the subjects, I would say that nine out of 10 people, they say yes. And I really don't, you know, if someone says no, I don't hold it back. So you'll be out, let's say you're you're out at, do you ever go to Rockaway? Oh, yeah. I've been had tons of work from Rockaways. Yeah, I've been, on, I've been okay. all over New York City by now. I walked every street of this city. I walked. Okay. So let's say it doesn't matter if it, where it is in the city, but let's say you're out mm -hmm. on the street. You, you're just walking along and suddenly you see something that really catches your I'll attention. go for it. <laughs> is that the kind of feeling? It oh, is? yeah, no, just you like know. Walking along and then you go. Because 
you don't set out no because you see this is the thing new york has nine million people or maybe a little bit now you know by now and you always know when you look at a crowd when someone stands out whether it's a tattoo whether it's the hat whether it's the you know the way they dress whether it's what they're doing and that's what I look for. I look for different because there's so many people here. And no matter where I go, I, I do look for the same. But I go for what really gets my attention. You know, whether it's a tattoo, a t-shirt, you know, that's because I know that that's yeah. what got my attention. And I usually focus on that. That's the way I do my work. Mm. You have different dominant colors that come into the work, like bright oranges or reds. Or those, those are the streets. Just whatever happens to be there, you have a, it, it's kind of an intuitive color. Sometimes, sense, you, sometimes sort of... it happens magically. Look, there's a girl, the girl that I use for the postcard uh, of a promotional card for uh, the Women Are Beautiful show, Najesty. She had exactly yeah. the same colors of a mirror that she was walking by when I ran into her. And she was on her way to Afropunk and I was on my way to the Bronx. Mm -hmm. And we just collided at the corner of 125th and Park. And that's what I took mm -hmm. the photo. And it looked like, you know, and it looked like, you know, some people was a stage. I said, no, it wasn't stage. She was right there. And I took the photo. I do it. But see, mm -hmm. this is the thing that people need to understand about me. I do environmental portraits. And an environmental portrait is when you photograph a person exactly where you found it in their own immediate environment. This is why the comfort mm. level and the connection is a lot stronger than most people's work. Because you mm. really, uh, you're finding your subject in the area or place that they're most comfortable with. It's not forced. Mm -hmm. And the connection is stronger. Right. And do you, would you say you take more than one photo? You know what? Person? It all depends. I really like to ideally take two. But mm -hmm. but you don't take oh like a hell whole no oh sheet. no no I don't do that hell no I hate editing twenty five images of the same absolutely not that's not who I am mm. I know when I get mm. it or not you know I might mm. take it one or two extra but no I don't you know mm. it's a very precise thing and you already know when you get it or not you know this is not film this is digital you could look at the camera and see what you got. You know, mm -hmm. I don't want to waste time because the idea is that you find a stranger, the connection and the encounter is limited. These people are usually in a hurry. I give them my Instagram feed and then we just do something after that. Like I send them the file later on for email or I give them a print. I stay in touch with them. But the idea is that this is a connection with these people are in a hurry. Like I said, that girl, Najesty, was going to Afropunk and I was going to the Bronx. We did it. And we parted ways, you know, and that's. Mm -hmm. um, well, they do have that kind of like caught in the moment sort of um, really present kind of kind of stuck in time. I, I, I do love that. I get to steal their soul for a couple of minutes and, and it right. stays with me that I love. Yeah, I'm after that. Right. I, I don't need, right. I don't regret that. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's my goal. Mm hmm. And so when did you get to New York? I got to New York originally in 1982, 81, 82. And uh, I came here to apply for colleges and uh, because I already had a college, a year of college in Puerto Rico. And then there was a strike. 
and I decided to leave. Mm -hmm. So I applied for colleges and originally I applied for Cooper Union, Cornell, Syracuse. Um, and Cooper Union, uh, you know, I was partying too much to Cooper Union turned me down, but Syracuse and, and Cornell accepted me and it was too far away. Pratt accepted me and it was too dangerous, the area back then. They said that I would never live going one day to college, come back on the oh. subway. And I believe it. I mean, this is the yeah. 80s. And uh, I look fresh out of an island. And after having a messenger job at the World Trade Center for that summer on bicycle, it got me to learn how to learn the city and go to all these exclusive places. I mean, I was at the showroom of, showroom of Halston. I met him. Uh, hmm. I was at the apartment of Dusty Humphrey. They would send me, you know, there were only back then, there were only two white people in the sort of white people in the in the messenger firm and business. And it was me and a Brazilian girl that was, she had long, blonde hair and blue eyes. And, mm. you know, back then, you know, people discriminate. So that we were sent to the best places. I mean, I, I deliver mm -hmm. the New York Magazine. I think it was the 25th anniversary New York Magazine issue. And it was delivered with an orchid. And this is what I got to do, you know, got to go to the headquarters of uh, Estee Lauder, Halston, uh, General Motors. So, you know, and I would deliver it with an orchid. I remember that with an orchid flower. I remember that. I was a kid. And, you know, imagine to walk in mm -hmm. the, the, you know, in, walking into the, into the showroom of Halston with that long, with that red carpet on those black, perfectly glass walls. I mean, I was like so intimidated. And then, then I happened to be wearing a plaid shirt, and he told me to never wear plaid, to wear a white shirt. So imagine how I walked out of there. <laughs> mm. But he was fabulous. And, you know, wow. and I remember uh, Dustin Hoffman and his wife, they gave me cake. They were very sweet. I delivered to them, mm -hmm. I delivered to them Kiehl's products, and that's how I learned uh, about Kiehl's. And that's why I, I started using it after that. So it's very, you know, mm -hmm. I was like a sponge. I was grabbing everything and learning everything that I saw around me. But then I ended up mm -hmm. going to Boston to college. And uh, then right after that, I moved mm -hmm. right back. So I've been here since huh. 2000. No, since 1993. I've been here in New York full time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I see. And... um was that um, art world related? What about it? Oh, the artwork? Oh, you mean when I moved? Mm -hmm. uh, when, when I moved, I had a business job and I moved and I, I was even willing to take a, I took a night auditor supervising job. Mm -hmm. So I was working, this is during the club era. So I was working from 1030 to four in the morning and then I would go change clothes, jump in a cab and go and roll down the scroll before the sound factory will, will uh, pull down the grill for the night. And I will go and dance there till noon. Huh. So, and then I will come home, go to the gym, wake up and go back to work. And, you know, it was perfect because that's the era of the, the club scene that you were out every night. So it worked for me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was for me to move to New York. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we all make mm -hmm. small sacrifices when we first move here. Do you remember some of the early openings that you attended? Um, in New York, mm -hmm. I used to come to New York for openings because I lived in Boston and, you know, it was, you know, weekends I used to spend all the time here. So I was always in touch with what was happening here. 
Uh, I remember, I mean, you could consider this a show. I mean, I remember going to Area mm -hmm. and seeing all the installations that Eric Goody put together. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, back then, the world art and, and the nightlife was very uh, interlaced, you know, mm -hmm. which is very different now, you know. Mm -hmm. Back then, you walk into a club and it was like, an, you know, it was like an art, you know, it's like a gallery show. Mm -hmm. You go into the Palladium and there were, you know, artwork from Kerry Scharf and, 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 and Keith Haring and, hmm. you know, and Gautier did a room at the huh. Club USA. That's funny. I just did an interview with Kenny Scharf that's coming out in White Hot Magazine soon. Yeah, well, you know, Kenny Sharp was very present. I mean, those people were in the clubs with me. Right. They were doing this, you know, we were all there. Hmm. And um, so, you know, it was a different... Um, scenario that is right now and even before the pandemic happened you know mm -hmm. i think that the the artwork got a little bit too uh elitist mm. and it got too antiseptic mm -hmm. and you know of course giuliani closed all the clubs so that was a big downfall i mean look what the palladium is now in nyu dorm mm -hmm. so i mean the palladium was a beautiful space designed by a major architect and 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 with all the artwork in it, that it was just unbelievable. You know, Kenny Sharpley artwork, uh, uh, all these famous artists, did, right. you know, and, and all that stuff is gone. Mm -hmm. See, like, I, I mean, I thought that we should learn how to value that, you know? Yeah. And it didn't get value. Right. So, hmm. um, you know, back then the artwork was very fused with the club at nightlife. New York was a big party town, but it was also very involved in the arts that way. Mm -hmm. I feel right now the artwork is more run by patrons and people who have money and and then the artists have to follow the patrons and you know it's a different scenario now you know mm -hmm. it, it has become a much more of a commodity mm -hmm. right right yeah and I guess the pandemic isn't helping you know but, you know, the pandemic hasn't helped, but I got to tell you something. I'm one of those stories that managed to breeze through the pandemic. And the reason, one of the reasons is that I managed to stay busy. I realized that online has a great potential. Mm -hmm. And I think that most people need to tap into it. And I also took, you know, I didn't really took a chance photographing because I have long lenses. And the only time I did it was when... Uh, you know, I needed to buy groceries every two or four, uh, every 14 days. Mm -hmm. I would go and buy groceries and that's what I would photograph. So even though it was limited, it was meaningful enough that, you know, uh, museums like the Museum of the City of New York took eight photos from, from those series. Mm -hmm. I ended up in the cover of the New York Times with my toilet paper hoarder photo. That was mm -hmm. a big surprise. But I also know that institutions like the Museum of the City of New York really help artists to help those guests through this pandemic. And right now I'm in an exhibition with them that has those photos. Hmm. So I think that there were options and ways to uh, get through it. And you need to find those venues. And I, you know, I, I kept my eyes open, mm -hmm. you know? I, I mean, I don't take no for an answer. It's just not an option with me. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm always, I'm always inspired by your tenacity and your connections and your ability to get the work out there. But then also, uh, I realize that the, your work is great. And it, if there are doors to open the work, it definitely opens the doors with its quality. I mean, it's, um, 
it's been a, a really interesting time watching your career over the last few years. It's hard. Thank you. Yeah, it's been very difficult to ignore your career because you just show up everywhere. Because um, um, I'm trying to keep my options, uh, you know, open. And, you know, like, for example, this art dealer called me today mm-hmm. and she's coming tomorrow morning. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's for a show within two weeks. And I said, sure, I'm ready. I'm a mm-hmm. yes guy. Even mm-hmm. if I had to rush and print whatever needs to be done. Even though I think they're going to use some of the words that I have printed here, but I'm not sure. You know what I mean? I try to keep a very open mind for things and, and you know, the possibilities are endless. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't say, you know, I'm a yes guy for the most part. You know, mm-hmm. I try to really keep an open mind to things. I listen mm-hmm. and then I study it and I see how this will work. Mm-hmm. And I try, even, you know, if I had to add my two cents, I will. But I think that most artists right now need to be in a position that they have to develop their own trajectory in some way. Because um, that idea of the art dealer doing everything for you, I think it's it's a dinosaur. Right. So tell people where they can see your work. Well, I don't have a website. So that's number one, because I never had the time. And at this point, I don't think I ever will. But... You could see it on social media. That's what I developed most of my, most of my career, you know, mostly uh, on Instagram. On Facebook, I try to get a little bit more personal because I have, a, uh, you know, the connection is a, a kind of sort of different. Mm-hmm. But in, in, in Instagram, I only put the images and the press only. Mm-hmm. I don't really like to put anything personal there. Or right. less, the photo is part of the narrative of what I'm doing that day. Right. You know, and that I find people are very engaged with that. Like people are very interested how I came about a photo. And I think that that's a way to engage your audience, you know, mm-hmm. and I do that, you know, by kind of like a storytelling, you know. Right. Because- okay. Well, this has been the White Hot Magazine podcast. And um, the artist today is photographer Ruben Natal San Miguel. And you can find him on social media and you can also obviously just Google his work online. And there's lots of examples in the New York Times and NPR today. And also at the Mint Museum, at the Mint Museum. And the Mint Museum. Thanks for being a guest today. And we'll talk to you soon, Ruben. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Noah. Have a great evening in New York. You too. Bye-bye. listening to the white hot magazine of contemporary art podcast with your host noah becker